Good morning, everybody. My name is Tim. Thank you very much for the introduction, uh, Phil. It's interesting to see what you think is distinctly New Zealand. <laughs> Today we're, as Phil said, looking, starting three weeks looking in the Bible book of 2 Peter. And it has one message, that of the certainty uh, of Scripture. The certainty uh, of Scripture. Um, thanks, James. Um, about how we can have confidence in the Bible that you have in your hands and how the wrong use of the Bible has dangerous consequences indeed. 2 Peter is all about the certainty of the Scriptures. But at the moment, more than perhaps any other time in history, we live in a society that doesn't think that there is any certainty, that all of life is completely random. The 20th century mathematician and philosopher Bertrand Russell said, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubts. Doesn't that quote, doesn't that sound so wise, so right for our society? Ambiguity is celebrated. The journey is always more important than the destination. There are no absolute truths. The mere concept of something being certain and true throughout society and time is laughably old-fashioned. We've moved on from that. Even in science, which is often thought of in terms of right and wrong, of laws of certainty like the proverbial Newton's apple that always falls to the ground demonstrating gravity, even in science there is increasing uncertainty. Those that know about quantum physics will know a lot more than I do, but you'll also know about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that says it's impossible to simultaneously measure where a wave is or where it's going. You can only measure one of those things at a time. We're expected to live with so much uncertainty. It's not just my view. Marcus Honeyset in his book Meltdown, which is all about the huge generation changes over the last generation in society and culture, says... Some of the most widely taught academic theory today revolves around the suggestion that, that it is impossible to know things with certainty or to communicate reliably. And yet, and yet we don't always think that there is no certainty, do we? The very statement, there is no absolute truth, is an absolute truth statement. Or with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, the uncertainty is in measuring those two things at once, it's perfectly possible to measure either one or the other. We consistently stop at red traffic lights, expecting others to do likewise. We consistently think rape and murder is wrong. And if you live in New Zealand, you just expect the All Blacks to consistently win. <laughs> we seem to need some absolute truths in our lives to function as a society. It's just the way we are. If that's actually so, what do we base those certainties on? That is the theme and the thrust of the whole of 2 Peter. Thanks, Phil, for reading 2 Peter 1. And if you have that in front of you, uh, on the, the page of the church Bibles, which is what, page 12, 22, or your own Bible, or on your phone, um, or over your neighbor's shoulder, that would be great if you can keep an eye on that. So I'm going to um, pray, and then we're going to um, work through the chapter together. Lord, thank you, as always, for the Bible. 
We thank you for this chapter and this book. We thank you that you do communicate clearly so that we can be certain of the things that you want us to know about your scriptures. Help us, we ask, by your spirit today to be certain of these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So if 2 Peter as a whole is about the certainty of scripture, which I certainly hope we'll get to see in the next few weeks, then 2 Peter 1 is all about the authentic word. Grow because you know. And the key verse for us is there in verse 19. We have the words of the prophets made more certain. There's that word, certain. Peter is saying that we can be certain of the words of the prophets, the Bible, in other words. But we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Let's work our way through uh, before we get to verse 19. So look with me at verse 1 to 4. Uh, no. One to, verse 1 to 4, no. Verse 1, Simon Peter is the author, and he describes himself primarily as a servant and an apostle of Jesus. He writes both to his original readers and to us who are Christians in 2012. He has an amazing phrase that's quite easy to miss there in verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Now that is amazing. What Peter is saying is that those who are Christians have a faith as precious as his. Another Bible translation I looked at talks about faith of an equal standing. Do you see why that's amazing? Peter, he lived and he worked with Jesus. He was the leader of the disciples. He was commissioned by Jesus to build the church around the world. He wrote books of the Bible. He was ultimately killed for believing in Jesus. That, Peter, says his faith is of the same, of equal standing as our faith in Jesus. We need to know that there is no hierarchy of Christians. If you're a Christian, Peter is saying that there is nobody holier than you. Not the elders here, not archbishops or popes, not even the apostle Peter. Now, of course, it may not feel like that, which is why Peter writes to remind us of this amazing truth. It's true because our holiness is not primarily dependent on us, but on Jesus. That's there in verse 1 too, where Peter writes that we have received righteousness. We've received it. We haven't earned it. We've been given it. In verse 2, Peter continues by outlining what he wants for us, grace and peace in abundance. There's no holding back or limit on grace and peace here. And if we struggle to believe verse 1, that our faith is the same as Peter's, we perhaps might struggle with verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us everything, we need for life and godliness? Everything? Surely we need something else, some, some new knowledge or some new experience? But no, we, we have everything we need through what we know of Jesus. The one who, and here's the key part of these verses, called us by his own glory and goodness. We, we know about that calling through the certainty of the scriptures. Calling, let's just park there for a while. That's, that word calling can be a funny Christianese kind of word sometimes. The word that Christians can routinely use and expect others to know what we mean. God is calling me to be a doctor. Uh, or God called me to Bolivia. 
Yeah, in terms of how the Bible uses the word calling, that's not quite correct. Rather than being called to a profession or to a place, we see here in 2 Peter 1 that God calls us to a person, the person of Jesus. We may hear of people being called to being a doctor or a lawyer, but less often being called to be a street cleaner or a shelf stacker. It's a good thing to work as a doctor or a lawyer or a street cleaner or a shelf stacker. But our lives primarily should be about who we are in Jesus, not about what we do. God really doesn't mind if you work as a surgeon or a street sweeper. Now, I do. I believe that blood should always be on the inside. Um, I don't like the sight of blood. No way I'd ever want to be a surgeon. But a street cleaner, the satisfaction of making communities clean, I'd go for that every time. But God calls us through his scriptures to himself. So that in verse 4, we can live godly lives to participate in the divine nature and escape corruption in the world. Peter says that if you're a Christian, it's a complete gift that God has called you to Jesus to be a Christian and to live a holy life. The what life is and the where life is question is secondary to a life lived in and for Jesus. So I'm normally living in New Zealand. For a few, uh, few short months, I'm uh, privileged enough to be in the UK and even more privileged to be in Gloucester. Um, and I'm getting, being asked a lot, what, so what's, what's next? What's, uh, what, what job do you think you're, being, you're going to do next? Or where will you live? And, that, and those aren't unimportant questions. And I don't really have a straight answer for people on that. Because it's secondary to a life lived in and for Jesus. So Peter moves on from knowing in verse 1 to 4 to growing. Knowing to growing. Growing in verse 5 to 11. Just because God calls us and makes us a Christian doesn't mean we have no responsibility to work at becoming more like Jesus. Indeed, in verse 10, we should be eager to make our calling and election, becoming a Christian, sure. There's that certainty theme again. We may well know the Bible, but we need to grow, says Peter. So, you become a Christian maybe at age 5 or 17 or 39 or 54 or 81 or 102, whenever it was that God first called you, but we all need to grow in that calling. To be a Christian is not a, a one-off, one-time event. It's a continual growing to be more like Jesus. And that happens in verse 5 when we make every effort. Every effort. It's hard work. You have faith in Jesus. Great. Now ask Jesus to help you add in goodness, add in knowledge, add in self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and uh, brotherly kindness, and love. So much we could say on each of those, what each of those things are, but that's a good place to start in home group discussions in the week. What do those characteristics look like? I was privileged uh, during the summer to be... uh, in the London Olympic Stadium uh, during one of Usain Bolt's qualifying runs uh, it one morning. It was self-evident that he is immensely gifted. He can run very, very fast. And the heats for the 200 meters really weren't hard for him at all. Um, he seemed to love running in front of the crowd, knowing, knowing that he could easily qualify through that heat to the next round. But if Usain Bolt had made no effort to add to his natural ability and add maybe to his knowledge of his ability, learning how to start, how to finish, how not to be distracted, then he wouldn't right now be double Olympic champion. He would be ineffective. 
so too with us, says Peter in verse 8. We need to be eager to add these things to keep us from being unproductive. In fact, if we do not have them, according to verse 9, we are short-sighted and blind. Ouch, that's harsh. But if we do grow, verse 11, we can expect a rich welcome in Jesus' kingdom. So no, verse 1 to 4, grow, verse 5 to 11. Thirdly, Peter connects the two with the because, in verse 12 to 21. Peter confirms to his original readers and to us that the because, the way we know about who Jesus is and, and what a Christian is, is through Scripture, through the Bible. This is no myth, he says in verse 16. There are plenty who distort the truth about who Jesus is in Peter's day and in our day. And we'll look more at that next week when Darren Chandler takes us through chapter 2, looking at that counterfeit teaching. But here in verse 16, Peter asserts that he was an eyewitness. Peter got picked, handpicked by Jesus to be one of the 12 disciples. And in verse 17, he refers to the occasion we can read about in Matthew, Luke, uh, and uh, Mark's gospel, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and they met Moses and Elijah. An amazing time. Here's Peter, with the same faith as us, remember, who went right in, and somehow, I don't, I don't know how, but he recognized Elijah and Moses. Maybe they had name badges, I'm not sure. But he blithely offered to put up tents for them. Moses and Elijah were both from the Old Testament. Moses received the law from God, and Elijah was one of the chief prophets. Here in the mountain were Moses and Elijah, Jesus. And Peter was an eyewitness and an ear witness of God when he spoke in verse 17. This is my son whom I love, said the voice of God. With him... I am well pleased. Truly amazing. Peter confirms that he really heard that voice and he really was there with the others on the mountain. And we should trust him. We should trust Peter. We weren't there. So we either have to trust Peter in what he says or believe that he's lying to us or maybe he's deluding himself. But we do rely on eyewitness testimony all the time, don't we? One of my favorite Saturday things to do is to buy a big, fat newspaper, spread it all over the floor, and read it throughout the day, maybe even the whole week. I'm very happy to believe and to be certain of what certain eyewitness journalists have written to tell me. Uh, and yesterday's paper, in areas as diverse as the international news from Syria, film reviews of the new Bond film, um, UK news about MPs' salaries, and, uh, and sport, the ongoing saga with Lance Armstrong. Eyewitness testimony is... And that's just what Peter is. In fact, he goes on in verse 19, uh, our key verse today, to say that we have the words of the prophets, the writings of the Old Testament, he means, made more certain. More certain than eyewitness testimony? Yes. More certain because the eyewitness testimony of Jesus confirms the Old Testament. We will do well to pay attention to that to read and to know the Old Testament just as much as the New. Here in verse 19, Peter gives us a hint about the return of Jesus to earth when he talks of the day. It's only a hint, but he's going to return to that theme in chapter 3, uh, which we'll look at in a fortnight. And in verse 20 and 21, Peter clarifies that it's the Bible that is our grounds for both knowing Jesus and growing in Jesus. The big word for what Peter is describing here is inspiration. 
Christians believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Not dictated, but inspired. Scripture, according to verse 20, was not the result of the human author deciding what to write. No. Verse 21 says that the Bible did not originate with human authors, but that they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a great image that is. The image kind of a sailing, of a sailing boat. And since the Holy Spirit gave the Bible, only the Holy Spirit can interpret the Bible. All the 66 books that make up the one Bible are written by the one God. There is a unifying theme of God calling a people to himself that he redeems. But there are about 40 different human authors, from kings to fishermen to soldiers to academics to taxmen to farmers, writing in three different languages on three different continents over several thousand years. The author Amos is not the same as the author Jeremiah. The author Peter, who wrote this book of 2 Peter, actually fell out with Paul, who wrote many books also. Yet through it all, God inspired the scriptures we have today. We have the very words of God in our hand. That's why it's great to have your own Bible. That's why church Bibles are given out for use on Sundays. That's why home groups always look at parts of the Bible. If you don't have the Bible, I'll happily buy you one. I'll buy you two so you can give one away to somebody else. It's so important because the Bible is the only way that we can know what God is like. The Bible is the word of God, and every word is true, and of that we can be certain. We can, and, and we should, of course, struggle with the ramifications of that. But we can have confidence and certainty in the Bible as God's good and final revelation to us. That's what Peter's saying here. We do not follow, verse 16, cleverly invented stories. Rather, we have the certainty of the Bible. Next week in chapter 2, we'll look at lots of people who did and do follow cleverly invented stories, precisely because they don't follow the certainty of who God is as revealed in the Bible. But back to verse 12 to 15, and we'll conclude with this. Verse 12, so Peter says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Peter says that if you're a Christian these things aren't new. He's close to death, verse 14 and 15. But he wants his readers and us to keep on keeping on. Look at his choice of words. Verse 12, remind. Verse 13, refresh your memory. Verse 15, remember. If you're a Christian, you'll know that it's a gift of God's calling that you, you are a Christian. You'll know that you need to work at growing in Jesus until you breathe your last. You'll know that the Bible is the way for us to both know and grow. None of today is new. But Peter wants to remind us, to refresh our memory, and for us to remember these things. Rejoice that God has called you. Earlier we sang a song that ties in with this chapter. Hear the call of the kingdom. It's the king himself who calls us to lift our eyes to the king, to worship him. Hear the call of the kingdom to be children of the light. 
living for Jesus where he's placed us. This call is not just for us. It's for us to hear the call and to pass it on so that others see the light. Hear the call of the kingdom to reach out to the lost. If you're not a Christian, you are lost. You haven't heard the call of the kingdom. You won't be certain in the scriptures. You won't know Jesus, and you won't be growing in Jesus. If that's you, do speak with a Christian friend or one of the leaders, or even me. We'd love to help you see Jesus clearly and with certainty so that you can begin to enjoy knowing and growing in Jesus. So what better way to finish than to pray to the one who has given us the Bible and called us to himself? I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're willing and able, as I, uh, as I pray. So if you'd like to join me, uh, if you're willing and able to stand, and we'll, we'll pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that we have the words of the prophets made more certain, and we will do well to pay attention to it. We read in verse 19. We also read in our chapter that grace and peace is ours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for two, Peter. Thank you that we grow in you only because your Bible teaches us what we need to know about you. Help us, we ask, by your Spirit, to treasure the Scriptures and to be eager to work out applying your unchanging word to our very much changing lives. Thank you for our time in 2 Peter today. Amen. Amen. Do, uh, do take a seat. We're going to transition into worshipping the God who gave us the Bible by uh, sharing communion together.